0: Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. Father God, we just thank you this morning. Uh, We thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. This is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we just want to thank you for all the Wonderful things that you've done for us. But today, this morning, as we want to thank you, especially for the little things that you've done. Water, food, family, home, job, and the country. Thank you for your faithfulness. We pray that everything we do today will be done to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Amen. Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. You're listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. I'm your host, Todd Citron. Today's guest is my good friend, Eric Woo. He is the founder of the Change Agent Network. He's from Liberia. He has an amazing story. He's a great guy. A, a great love for Christ. Welcome to the show, Eric.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Good to see
1: you again. It's good to see you. It's <laughs> such a blessing to have Eric on the show. Uh, we go way back. Eric's been in Lafayette for 13 years. But um, I want to. Eric has a magazine back uh, that he has back in his home, and he's done some amazing things. It's a story of Lafayette. It's a story of Liberia. It's a story of love. But I'll read the thing, the quote that I saw in his magazine, and it says, Don't be ashamed nor afraid to share your life story. Embrace and steward it well. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear your life story, Eric. That's yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, my life story, I, I always told people that, you know, God is so good uh, that he gave each and every one of us a story to share. A story to lay for something that we can look forward to and most of these stories that God allowed us to live it's not a story that we wrote so I t- always told people I'm just the character in the story mm-hmm. it is actually God's own story he just chose me to be that character in his book that he's written so I'm acting in other words so I that's why I tell people not to be ashamed of whatever is going on in your life, whatever you may have been through, it was all just set up by God to get you to where you are today, to give it meaning and purpose. So, uh, my story, like my coming to life here, though, being here today in the studio was something I never chose. There's no way I would have designed anything like that or orchestrated or scripted. It's impossible to script such a story. So, just to talk a little bit about my story, um, I, I'm from Liberia, West Africa. Uh, my parents. Everybody from there, don't ask me why, because both parents, uh, God just chose my parents and chose me to be born in that part of the world with all the circumstances, everything that's happening there. We did not have a meeting. We did not have a discussion on how I felt about it, what's, what's going to happen, but He just chose it. And I know that all things work together for my good because I believe in His divine plan for my life. So in 19. 19- Eighty-nine. I do not know my actual date of birth because I was not born in the hospital. I don't have a birth certificate, just like many children in Liberia. We don't have birth certificates. So I guess I was around the age of 12 in Liberia when the Liberian Civil War started. Uh, those of you who are listening, if uh, you don't know what it is, uh, if you have watched a movie called Blood Diamond, i pray the devil back to hell, you understand what I'm talking about. So that war started in 1989. I lived for my parents uh, at that time. And we live in a yeah. typical African home, a hut. And this hut was a place where we went to sleep at night. There was no kitchen in the house, there was no uh, restrooms, there was no dining room. So everything else that we have to do during the day, we have to do it outside. And we went in to sleep we were about eight persons in a little hut, about 20 by 15 feet size wow. building with a tash roof, and there was a, it was, they, the building was built out of dirt. So we slept on the, on, the, on the dirt floor, and there was a fire area in this building where uh, we lighted at night to keep us warm. And at night, if you want to use the restroom, you got to be extremely careful, or else you're going to step on somebody's head, lying down on the bed. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was the kind of life we grew up in. And we ate one meal a day. On the day, we were lucky as children. And that meal was provided probably around 8 p.m. at night. And then as children, we were an important part of the family, support unit of the family. So as boys, we had to go fishing and hunting to provide firewood and all the other stuff to help our parents at home. And education was one of those things that we never had because there was no education uh, for us. There was no school, and my parents were not Christian. They were African religion people. You know, animism is what they practice. The mixture of voodoo and juju in Africa. That's the biggest religion in the part of the country that I come from, Liberia. So. And we had to go hunting for deers, for raccoons, for sometimes snakes. As kids, we seven-year-old, eight years old, ten years old kids, which go out there to go hunting. And mom it sounds and sounds
1: a lot like South Louisiana. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> why when I got
0: here, I could relate to a lot of things that were happening. You talk about fishing and the seafood. That was something that uh, I grew up doing in Liberia. But that was the fun part of my life. The most stable part of my life because I was home with my mom and my dad, my siblings, we were all living together, until 1989. In 1989, the Liberian Civil War started. This was a war I did not declare. We have no idea what was going on. Within the first year of the war, we lost everything in Liberia. There was no central government. The rebels have taken over the country. Whoever has a gun was the person in charge of the country. And there was curfew. We couldn't come out of our homes from dusk to dawn. We had to stay indoor, and you can imagine this out here in Louisiana. If you are actually staying in your house and you don't have no restroom, no kitchen in the no food pantry, how do you survive? There's no water, no running water in the house. So a lot of people die as a result of that. And my mom, one day, asked me, she said, Eric, if, you, if we all stay together in the house, we are going to die. So you need to go out there and get some fish for your siblings because I was the oldest in the family. Mm-hmm. So I went out with a bunch of uh, teenagers. We went out on a 2 days fishing trip. On my way back from my fishing trip, I was captured by rebel fighters to be turned into a child soldier. And when I refused to be enlisted, Uh, into the revolution, I was tortured, beaten, and left to die. The timing up tortured me, and my elbows from the front got to meet behind my back tied until my elbows met uh, each other in the back, behind my back. And I was thrown into jail for two days in that position, in the ropes, and two days later when I was brought out to decide if I was going to join or be killed, the ropes were removed And what I experienced is that within those two nights, my blood stopped flowing, you know, so I couldn't feel anything, my arms became numb. Mm -hmm. So they asked me to pick up the gun, I couldn't pick up the gun. So the guy was like, well, we can't kill him. The commander in charge said we can't kill him because he's useless to himself. He can't help himself, he cannot even feed himself. So what is the point of killing him? Just let him go. And so that was how I got set free, but I was never allowed to go home. I was asked to go in the opposite direction. So I left Liberia, never went back to my village to see my parents for the next 20 years. So I left Liberia through the help of uh, the Red Cross and and, 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 and by the grace of God, crossed into Avri Coast, a French speaking country to Liberia. And that was the beginning of my 14 years Refugee journey. So I got into Africa with a broken arm, can't speak English, I mean, can't speak French. And uh, Africa is a French speaking country. I had no passport, no ID, don't know anybody. I'm out of home, I'm a refugee. So I go to this refugee camp in the Africa. They had about 50,000 people to register as a refugee in a foreign country. And I was asked about my parents. That was the first time in my life that I was asked about my age. I didn't know what it was. It's like, how old are you? And I just stood up there and looked at the guy. Nobody had ever asked me that question before. So he looked at me. He's like, well, he got to be 12 or so. So I picked on that. And then I read the Chinese zodiac to know, you know, the various months and the various animals associated with the birth month. So I took August. 1974, as my <laughs> date of birth. So I came back, they put that on paper. It became official, right? So, uh, Is there I, a date? Yeah, August 22nd. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I just picked it up and they took it. And uh, they said, well, Eric, the problem we have is that you cannot be considered, you have not met the definition of a refugee. You are too young to be called a refugee. You are a minor, okay? Secondly, we cannot label you as an as, as an orphan, because we are not sure if your parents are alive or dead. So we're going to label you as unaccompanied minor. Unaccompanied minor. Yeah. So I was asked to hang around the refugee camp for months, and later on, a lady showed up that wanted me to go and stay with her. So I went to stay with this lady. And in the refugee camp, you are entitled to receive one tent, maybe. Tent by 12 size of tent she had three other kids and I moved in to live with her and she got all my benefits of food and whatever i needed to get from the government and the red cross so we stay in this place in Africa we have 6 months of rain in liberia and it comes with very uh, terrible storm and at night the tents most of the tents get blown away by the storm and you got to go find it. And once you lose your tent, that's it. You're not going to have another tent. Mm. So at night, I watched this lady trying to keep her tent down you know, to protect herself and her children. And I was old enough to help, but I couldn't help. So one morning, she was very frustrated. And she said, Eric, we need to do something about your arm. We need to get your arm fixed. So she took a kitchen knife, and she asked me to follow her into the jungle. So we went out into the jungle, and she cut a bamboo tree, and she measured my arm like a splint. And split it into two, smooth it, and place it on my arm on both sides of my arm, the right side and left side. And she used a rope from the bush to tie it the, to tie it up. And she said, every evening you want to keep your arms like this, straight in the position. You don't want to keep it bent because you're never going to get your arms back. So every evening around 5 p.m. she will. Make the hot water and use the dirt from the earth and massage my arms, wow. and that was it. I never saw a the therapy, and I never saw a doctor, and then later on I have to leave that country because it was not safe. It was too close to Liberia. So I came to Guinea Republic, another French-speaking country, and that was where I came to know the Lord. So in the refugee camp there in 1992, I'm lying down in the refugee camp. It's around Christmas, and Christmas was the most exciting time to be in the refugee camp because that was the time that we had all the various denominations come to the refugee camp around Christmas to bring food, to bring relief supplies. And like we used to say in the refugee camp, Christ have come. And gone, and the crisis back. So, uh, so normally it would last from the fifteenth of the month to the thirtieth. We would mm-hmm. get water from the Salvation Army, from the Catholic Church, from all the denominations. They would come in around that time. to have a fellowship with the refugee. And after December twenty-fifth, everything is over. So, and most of us were not refu- uh, Christians when we left Liberia. We didn't want to hear anything to do about anything about Christianity, about Christ, about christians because we felt like if god is so loved in the world that he's died for us then what how do you explain us leaving our country and losing everything lose our family lose our parents we lose our community we lose our nation you know and here we are we don't even have food to eat we don't even have a place to sleep and you said jesus loves us god cares about how do you explain that love so we didn't want to have anything to do with it so it was around december 1992 that few pastors come to the refugee camp using a bullhorn just walking around there's no church mm-hmm. it was forbidden to have a church there so one morning i was in my tent around three o'clock in the morning and this guy started to preach he was preaching about the love of Christ around Christmas, three days to Christmas. And he said, you know, God loves you so much that he saved your life. Most of you are in this refugee camps. You're so stubborn. You keep running away from him and he's keep running after you. And he said, if you know what you are doing, can you explain to me this morning how you saved your own life? What did you do in Liberia that got you saved? And how can he explain that? And he said, everything else that your parents taught you, society taught you, how is it working out for you? How could he answer that? And he said, everything that you ever trusted in your life, you know, the government of Liberia, your family, your friends, the U.S. government, the United Nations, why are they tonight? And he said, you know what? God save you so that some of you will return home to be the Myers, the prophet, to rebuild your nations. And he brought you out to prepare you so that he would take you back in to be the change agents. And he said, if you want Jesus to come in, you've tried, everything is not working, why don't you give him a chance? And he said, if you believe this and you want to give Jesus a chance, I would love to pray for you and close your eyes wherever you are. So I closed my eyes in my tent, lying down on the dirt floor, no light, no food. We are angry because there's no food that December month for the refugees. And he prayed a sinner's prayer. And he said, if you pray that prayer sincerely from your heart, Jesus have heard you. I don't have a food to give you. I don't have a Bible. I don't have a church to recommend. But Jesus has a way of taking care of you. And fast forward the story. In 2004, um, in the refugee camp, the U.S. government showed up. At that, around that time, the war in Liberia has ended. And they said, uh, we came to assess the situation in the refugee camp. We want to help some of the refugees return to home. This is 14 years later. Wow. And then we want to help some of you go to America, Europe, to develop nations of the world so that you can you know, recover. You've been through a lot. But we want to hear your story. What happened to you? It was interesting to me that they wanted to hear the individual story, not the story of everybody. So they were looking for refugees who have been through torture and abuse and violence and survivor abuse. So I wrote my story. I didn't know it was going to be chosen. And after we wrote the story, submitted the story to them. And uh, a few months later, they came back. They're like, well, congratulations. Your story was chosen to go to America on the refugee resettlement program. You're going to leave August 28, 2006.
1: And this resettlement program is from the Catholic Church? The
0: Catholic Church, yeah, the Catholic Migration and Refugee Services of the Bishop's Appeal you know, uh, uh, Conference, the Catholic Bishops Conference of America sponsored that program out of New York. But life here in Louisiana is a part of that program. So I didn't know life here was going to be the home. So uh, when I look at the paperwork in 2006, August, on my way to the U.S., culture shock. I didn't know where we we're going in America. But on the paper, they wrote LA, and I was taking Los Angeles, and they were talking Louisiana. Okay, so, but it's a great place. Thank God, and I, I end up LA. So we got here August 28th. Get we on like that to that laptop. to say,
1: big L, little a. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, was a
0: huge culture shock. And I want to uh, remind everyone <clears throat> we're listening to the Cajun Catholic radio show.
1: Today's guest is Eric Woo Wu. He's given us his testimony. He's from Liberia. He's a transplanted
0: <laughs> Liberian Cajun <laughs> Catholic. So,
1: uh, <laughs> Eric, it's just, I, I want to
0: continue to hear your story. Go yeah. So I got here August 28, 2000, August ninth, 2006 at the airport, Lafayette Airport. I mean, it's a long story going through Frankfurt, Germany, going to the port of Chicago, and then coming to Houston Airport and then arriving in Lafayette. LFT. Yeah. It was around 9 p.m. and there was this lady from the Catholic diocese. Her name is Miss Margaret. She used to work with the Catholic diocese as a refugee uh, 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 counselor. So I'm there at the airport and she walked up to me. And she said, Welcome to life here. Look at this lady. I never met her before. I'm like, Who are you? She said, I'm going to be your kiss worker. I'm like, Kiss worker? I've never committed a crime because kiss <laughs> worker is a negative term. So she said, Well, I'm going to take care of you for six months and uh, we have an apartment for you. So we got into the car and we are driving from. Lafayette Regional Airport to UPA Apartments. That's where the Catholic Church took the apartment for me okay. to stay for six months. As we drove, what stood out to me was I couldn't find a single soul in the street walking anywhere. I just came from a place where we walk everywhere. We walk to church, we walk to market, we walk to school. But I couldn't find anybody. So I asked her, I said, where, where are the people in this town? And she said, look at them. I said, I don't see them. I see vehicles moving around. <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, everybody drive a car. I'm like, what? All of you drive a car here? Yeah, that's not a bad thing, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was shocked. I'm Especially like, Especially if you're
1: in the car business.
0: Yeah. So I so said, <laughs> how do you guys know where you're going? She said, well, there's something called a GPS. And she just blew me up. GPS. Wow. You drive it around. That was in the shocker of the day. The shocker was when we arrived at my apartment at UPA. And we went into this bedroom, and she said, this is your bed, almost a king-size mattress with 10 pillows on the bed. (laughs) And I'm thinking, what am I going to do with 10 pillows? (laughs) So we come out into the kitchen, and she showed me this microwave, never seen the microwave before. And she said, this is what Americans use to cook or heat up their food. And I said, there's no fire in it. How do you do that? Found a guitar that night. She said, I need to show you the temperature control before I leave home. Mm -hmm. I said, temperature control? You guys control the temperature out here? She said, yes. And when she was done with me that night, I said, good night, ma'am, I'll see you tomorrow. That night, I prayed to God, I said, Lord, you need to tell me why I'm not here. Why out of everybody, 4.5 million people, almost a billion people in Africa, and I was chosen to be brought to life yet. I need to know why. And he spoke to me, he said, this is to return with whatever you have received and help those who couldn't get out. You become the voice of those that couldn't make it here. You share the story. And I started to share my story and gathering used computers and textbooks from the people of Louisiana. And since then, I'm pleased to announce to you that we have built 14 schools running from nursery wow. through grade 12. And we have shipped 14 containers, 40 foot, from this area. And we have currently 3,000 children in school in Liberia. We have over 200 employees on payroll. And think about that. It was just an idea we've got, 2006. You know, I just don't even know. Uh, the whole inspiration
1: for this show has been just to show the reach of the Catholic and the Cajuns here in South Louisiana. And, you know, you've just made us so proud. It was such an, an awesome uh thing in my life to meet you and to hear your story and to see how here in little Lafayette Louisiana we're talking about has transformed a a country in Liberia with all that love I know you've had some good interaction with the Rotary Club yeah and uh, and you've met a lot of good Cajun Catholics Mm -hmm. and that have made all that happen Uh, and certainly it's been you but you've had a lot of support here Uh, tell us what's your view of these people down
0: here in Cajun? Well I think when I got here the first thing that stood out to me was the history of the area that most of the people here came from Canada, Nova Scotia and settled down here. They were running away from persecution over there. So when I got here and I heard that story, I could relate that this was a situation of war that brought me here. And the people here are just incredibly generous people you know, they are friendly, they make you welcome, make you feel like whatever it is that you want to do, they are there to support you. And I'm amazed at how much work has been done ever since I got here, you know, with uh, cash, material, we've taken over a uh, almost a hundred people from this area to Liberia on short-term volunteer trips to Liberia. Some people have been over there to teach in the school, provide medical services. The Rotary Club, like you said, was the first club to write my first grant to build armchairs for the students to use in the school and build our first water well. And mm-hmm. never forgotten that. So uh, wherever I go, this is my home in America. That was given to me.
1: You are you are truly a Cajun <laughs> Catholic. Yeah, African Canadian, Canadian. <laughs> be, that's yeah. Right. a Liberian Cajun Catholic. Uh, you know, and I know a lot of Eric's story. Um, t- tell him a little bit about the story on Thanksgiving Day when Channel Three found you.
0: Yeah, well, when I got here, I was just blown away by the choices. Right, I um, I went to Pest Mart. My friend took me to Pest Mart on Johnson. Mm-hmm. Imagine I just came from Africa, right? And I go over there, and I'm standing. There. I didn't know. You guys have a supermarket for pets. <laughs> I didn't know that. So I'm walking down the center looking at all these pets beautifully. You know, uh, they just did their makeups and did their <laughs> hair and their nails and the AC and so on. So I was blown away and the choices of everything. You go to Walmart right now, you're going to find three hours of chips. It's all chips, three hours. And you want to cook, and you, you press the button and cook, you get 15 different flavors. You know, you want milk, there's a half, 2%, 3% milk, there's almond milk, there's cash milk, whole milk, you know, teen milk. Just the choices. And All sometimes right. it, it's just blooming away. So what happened was when I got here, I was, I was really fascinated with computer in the refugee camp. The first day I saw three computers in the trash at UPA department. I took the computers into my house, into my apartment, I tested them, it worked. So I went back to them and I said, look, I need to start gathering computers, how can I get more of these? So all the students on UPA campus would bring me things once in a while in my apartment. So everything started to build up there and that was my first shipment. And my first public holiday in America was Thanksgiving. I came in August and November was the big one, mm-hmm. so I got it that morning. Took my dirty clothes. I'm going to UPA campus. I mean uh, UL campus to do my laundry. There's a public laundry right across the bridge, so I'm walking there and then this KATC van just pulled up right behind me, and the lady in the front, Diana Rafael, was the name, mm-hmm. in the front as a reporter, and she wiped down the glass and she said to me, "My young man, what are you doing on the?" Thanksgiving morning. I'm like, what is Thanksgiving? What is that? And she said, you don't know what Thanksgiving is? I said, I don't know. She said, well, you live here in America? in the world? I said, I don't know. I've never heard of it. What is that? And she said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Africa. She said, how did you get here? I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she said, you have a passport? I said, no, I don't have a passport. Oh you have an ID? No ID. She said, so how did you get? I said, I just told you. I don't know. So she came down from the car, parked the car with a camera guy. And she said, just tell me the story. I said, well, I came here, I think, as a refugee. She said, where do you live? I said, I live right there. <laughs> and I showed her the apartment. And she followed me back to the apartment. And then I opened my door. And we walked into my living room. And there was computers everywhere. There was textbooks, things that I've been gathering to ship back. In less than three months, half of my apartment was filled. And she said, what do you do? You say you just got here, right? I'm saying, yeah. She said, how did you get all this stuff? I said, well, I asked people for it. Do you have something that you would like to do on it? And she laughed. And she said can we talk about this on the news? I didn't even know what the news was. I said, well, I don't care. Whatever you want to do, I'm here. So she came back the next day with two cameramen. And she said, I want you to sit over there and just tell me the story, how you got here. I think people in the area would like to know that's how this whole thing got started. Unbelievable and look that story went viral I mean you know Eric
1: became, (laughs) uh, Eric knows more people in Lafayette than I do, I say that all the time you know but uh, and that was the beginning really. That's the beginning. I I love your story also about Ed Abel about how you had to find an attorney to get
0: Yeah on the south side of town right (laughs) I remember driving to the south side to get an attorney to help me register this nonprofit and the the guy who was giving me a lift, I didn't have a car and whatever. And he said, what are you going to do this way? Southside River Ranch. I said, well, I don't know. I have an appointment with an there. He said, Eric, a refugee? You have an appointment over there? I said, yes. He said, I think you should be heading north, not south. <laughs> I said, well, it doesn't matter. I have an appointment. I'm going for an appointment. And we got there. He was so afraid that he dropped me off right at the light. <laughs> and he pulled off. He said, call me when you need help. So oh, I oh, went man. off oh. and I met uh, Ed Abel and I, was, I didn't even know what I was doing. It was just a God thing. And talked to him. I said, look, I'm from Africa. I want to set up a nonprofit, and I think you can help me to be, change the world. And he's like, are you legal? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> sir. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he picked it up from there. And uh, two weeks later, I got everything I wanted you know, from him, and he got everything registered, paid for <clears> the meal, <throat> processing everything, paid the processing fees. And one day we met at the Rotary Club. And that was when he told me, he said, you know, it was just amazing how you had the guts to come to my office, and you know, so there's no bill coming in the mail. So, Ed was, Abel's a great man,
1: yeah. just a great Cajun Christian that's that shown love to Eric and his cause, and he should c- certainly be committed. We're all so proud of him. Mm-hmm. We only have about three minutes on the show, two minutes, believe it or not. It's going by so fast. What you mm-hmm. give us a message out there for? Her.
0: What's well, I just want to use this time to appreciate all the people listening, especially the Catholic Church, for the opportunity. You know, they couldn't bring 4.5 million people out of Liberia or 1 billion people out of Africa. But those of us that got were given the chance to come here, I just want to appreciate everyone for the opportunity, giving a chance, a second chance, you know, to recover from whatever we went through, and also to be able to extend that help that I have received to other folks back home in Liberia who probably would not be able to make it here to talk to you in person. So on behalf of all the children, all the people in Liberia that we work with today, you know, I just want to say thank you so much. And the Catholic Church has been amazing. I remember two years ago I was invited to D.C. to receive an award from Cardinal uh, Wall. Yeah. Wall, yeah, yeah. There, and he told me, he said, Eric, your story have exemplified the mission of the Catholic Church. This is why we do what we do by helping people like you. And I just, I'm grateful. I don't think I deserve it, and I thank God for the opportunity that He just, you know, brought me here and placed me right in this community. And it's been great living here supported, loving, and generous people. You've
1: made us all so proud. Uh, Eric, um, tell them how they can donate to, your, to the Change Agent.
0: Well, Network. you can go to my website. It's Change Agent Network, and the website address is www.canintl.org. That's www.canintl.org. I leave for Africa, believe it or not, on Sunday this week. Uh, we have a water project going down, the water well project. We have a school that we are still working on. So I leave now. I'm in Africa maybe three, four times a year, and I'm back here to give updates and go back. Fantastic. So you still <coughs>
1: accepting computers? Yeah, we donation?
0: still accepting computers. We have a container, as a matter of fact, and some school buses to ship. Uh a friend of mine in life here down Mendoza donated yeah. some school buses that needs to be shipped out. It's gonna cost about six grand to ship each of the buses. Mm-hmm. We don't our schools don't have buses. Our kids walk to school every day. So it was great that he donated that.
1: Well, thank you so much for being on the show. You're listening to the Cajun Catholic radio show with Eric Wu. He's been such a blessing to me and I love this man and I wish you the best. I'll be praying for you. Thank you so much. Thank sir. you for being yeah. on the show, Eric. Thank you. I God bless
0: you. Back there.